27. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies, round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What would you say is your greatest strength? I used to lift weights. I was a little stronger in my legs, but I never could bench very much. I'd see these other guys benching, you know, pr pretty good amounts. That wasn't really my strength. Uh, I guess we each have our own strengths and weaknesses. But what would you say is your greatest strength? You know, David, who wrote this psalm, who said, Thou teachest my hands to war. David was talented. He could use a sling. He was a shepherd. And he fought Goliath. But I don't think that's where his strength was, was in his soldiering talents David here says the Lord is the strength of my life now imagine that the very man who defeated the champion of the Philistines the giant 
David doesn't say, my strength is my hands. He doesn't say, my strength is my ability. He says, the Lord's my strength. In Psalm 18, verse 1, he says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. And my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. You want to know when he wrote that? When he was saved out of the hands of Saul. Now, there's several times. Remember how he was hiding out in a cave? Remember how that sometimes he was hiding in some pit? One time he was hiding among the, the king of Gath, doing, working for him. So all these times he's, he's doing this. And he's saved out of the hands of Saul. There's another time when he could have, that time in the cave when he could have killed Saul, but he didn't, and he cut off a piece of his garment. Another time when... He could have killed Saul, but he didn't when he took the spear at his head. But whichever time this is, I find this interesting that David doesn't say, look what I've done. He doesn't say, I can escape Saul because I'm a better soldier. I fought Goliath and he didn't. The people were saying he's slain his Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. But David did not ascribe bragging rights to himself. He said, the Lord is my strength. When you do well, who gets the glory? What do you do in these times? Who do you call upon and who do you think is your greatest strength? Do you sometimes want to have some reliance upon some personal ability, some knowledge? Or is your reliance on God? David says, God is my strength and my rock. Who's your greatest fear? What's, what's, the, what's the thing you fear the most? Some might say death. Some might say heights. Some might say spiders or a snake. Some might say I'm afraid of the dark. I might say I'm afraid of what's in the dark. <laughs> Some people might say public speaking. Some might say I'm afraid of a third war. war. I'm afraid of a nuclear catastrophe. I'm afraid of the country going downhill I'm afraid for the next generation so these are fears that a lot of people have some of these fears may be valid but David says whom shall I fear because he's relying on God no matter what I've got God Psalm 25, verse 12. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach 
in the way that he shall choose. You know, if you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who can be against us? John Knox said, one with God is a majority. David knew this. The man who fought in various times. The man who was attacked with a javelin, escaped out of his hand multiple times. The man who was being hunted by his superior or predecessor or, or previous king and he wanted him dead the man who said there is but a step between me and death that man said whom shall I fear that man said I will fear no evil for thou art with me Psalm 23 and verse 4 when you have God, there are natural fears. But when you fully trust God, all those fears dissipate the more you rely on God. If you could choose one pursuit in your life, there's only one thing, what would that be? On your epitaph, on your tombstone, if there was one thing that you could say that was most important to you, what would you say that was? If you could be granted one wish, if there was such a thing as a magic lamp, but you only get one wish, what would you say you would choose? David said, I choose the Lord. Verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, do you think it was the curtains that he's talking about in the temple? that had not been built yet was it the the lampstand was it the altar in the tabernacle was it the beautiful craftsmanship was it the artwork that was on the curtain was it all the intricate details in the gold or everything that the tabernacle was overlaid with. Is that what it was? That wasn't it. It's representative of where God is. That's why he's saying, this one thing that I want, we're talking about a man who's a, a king. Look at all he's got. He's got all the Wealth at his fingertips. He's got servants. He's got education. He's got counsel. He's got 
all these things at his fingertips that so, so many people would love to have. But he says, the one thing that I want is to be in the house of God. And it's because of what that represented. Because he wanted to be with God. In verse 8 and 9, you see this come out. When thou sayest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. It's all about being near God. There's several times all throughout the Psalms where David says, be not far from me. Why? He wanted to draw near to God. He wanted that close relationship with him. He wanted to be near him and be with him. That's what it's always been about for David. Is that what I want? What's my first thought when I wake up? What's my last thought when I go to sleep? What do I think about during the day? When I have free time, what am I daydreaming of? What am I wanting? To David was to be in the house of God. In Psalm 23, verse 6, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. In Psalm 5, in verse 7, But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Psalm 84, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Being in the house of God is what David wanted. Psalm 122, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's what he looked forward to. What do I look forward to throughout the week? Come tomorrow morning. What am I going to look forward to? Is it getting back to work? Is it seeing family? Is it what I'm going to accomplish in these goals? Not that it's wrong to look forward to any of those things. Is it the vacation I'm about to take? What is it? Is it a child coming? A grandchild? Is it seeing somebody I hadn't seen in a while? A lot of things could be exciting, looking forward to. But what stirred up David was not getting back home in his palace in his nice kingly bed. It was not where it was at. It was being in the house of God. The man who hid out in some pit, when he, when he was out there in a cave, he wasn't daydreaming of being back home where it was nice and safe like that. What he was daydreaming of was being with God. Where is my heart? What do I want the most? He wanted access to God. Jesus gives us that today. We have access to God by the grace that we have. If you could pick your dream vacation destination or retirement destination where you could live the rest of your life, pick one place on this earth that you could choose, 
where would you pick some might say hawaii is nice the, the temperature stays pretty i i hear the temperature is nice all year around some people want the variation of the seasons but maybe not too severe some people it's mountain some people it's sea some people it's a little of both some people it's flat some people it's where the economy's good some people it's where you have a land of freedom some people you know not that any of these things are terrible and bad in themselves but David had one place in mind that was being with God one place you know ultimately whatever's on this in this world I, I, I love seeing sights I do it I think it's great to enjoy what God has created but one day even this will be burned up one day though every eye will see him and it's going to make a difference whether or not we're ready to be with him or whether he'll say depart from me I never knew you I don't want to be away from God I've said it before I'll say it again that I think that's the scariest part about hell above the torment above the darkness above the fire that shall never be quenched and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and the worm dies not, and where the beast and the false prophet are, and every evil, vile person that has ever existed will be. The scariest part is to be without God. But the best part of heaven is not the streets of gold. That's nice. It's not where there's no more sorrow, no more crying, and that's something I think he gives us to look forward to. But it's not that. It's being with God. And that's what David is longing after. What's your safest place to hide? As a kid, grew up in an apartment complex. There's lots of kids there. So in the summer, every night we played hide and seek. I like playing hide and seek. I would dress up in all black. So in the dark... About 30 yards away, I could lay down in the grass, and it was kind of fun. They wouldn't even notice I was there. Be running all around, and I'm just laying there because they couldn't see. But sometimes I'd find some spot where they'll never find me. Instead of coming out and running to the base like you do, what I would do is I would hide there and stay there and stay there for like 30 minutes till they finally gave up. And they all went inside. You got hiding places. When I was selling real estate, there was one guy who had this really cool fallout shelter. You go down into the basement, go into a closet, push on the wall in the closet, opens up, goes back in there, and he's got this place in case he ever needed to hide out or something in there. And then he could move that wall back. Nobody would ever find him in there. Nobody would ever guess to move that panel out of the way I've known people to dig a hole in their yard put a shipping container down in it and then they'll you know have some kind of little place you can go in case there's some disastrous situation 
put a bunch of stuff in there, prep and stock it full of whatever you need. You could live pretty good uh, while down there. Maybe even have some batteries and some other survival things to make sure you can connect with uh, help if you needed to. Maybe a ham radio or something like that. People prepare. Some people do other things in order to hide and prepare. When I was selling real estate, a lot of times in, in, the, in the south, in the mountains, quite frequently, somebody would come to me and say, I'm choosing to live here because I think there's going to be this disaster coming, and I think this is the safest place on earth to be. Like mountains. That happens like in Scripture, you know, where some flee to the mountains. Some people have different things that they think makes them feel safe. Some people do all kinds of things to make them feel safe. You get enough cushion in your bank account, would you feel safer? There's all kinds of things. But where do you hide? If there was a war that broke out, where would you go? Where would you hide? Some people will remove trees near their property because they're afraid a tree might fall on it. They're, you know, you think of things that could happen. It's not necessarily wrong with preparing with some things. I'm not picking on anybody who tries to do things in preparation for something to try to increase their chances of safety. But you know what? At the end of my dad used to say, if God wanted a tree to fall on that house, it'll fall on that house. I mean, it doesn't matter where you put your house, where you go, if you don't have God's protection, it doesn't matter. You know, you can put a lock on your place. You can put a security alarm. You can have the best system. You know, there are banks that have really high-tech systems. There are jails that pride themselves as a maximum security. I visited inmates at a county jail, and they built this new county jail, and they let you come and tour it. So I went, because I wanted to see what it looked like before they put all the inmates in there. And they let you move around. And they, started, they were showing you all the, the features, how you go through this. You've got to go through this checkpoint then this corridor, and then this one, and they were showing all of these things about it and saying it'd be virtually impossible for somebody to escape. And the first day, the very first day, I go to visit the inmates. They won't let me in. You want to know why? Because the men were on one side of this thing and the women are over on the other, and somehow, I guess one of the women found a a vent of some kind, went over to the man's side, and they had to do a lockdown on the very first day. How do they do this? I don't, I don't know. I mean, why do people break into things that you think is unbreakable? People, people look for all kinds of means of security and safety, but I'm telling you, Safety is of the Lord. Where can you go? Where can you hide if you don't have God's protection of your soul? 
In Psalm 33, in verse 17, it says a horse is a vain thing for safety. There are times where the people of God would want to know how, how large is our army. David got in trouble for that, remember. He, counted, he wanted to number the people. Wouldn't it make you feel a little safer to know, okay, I've got a larger army than this country that might attack us? Would it make you feel safer if you thought America had a better nuclear uh, situation than another country? Or we had some means by detecting, you know, if there was going to be an attack. Would that make you feel safer? Maybe you maybe, maybe feel asleep a little bit better at night? But Proverbs 21, 37, it's the safeties of the Lord. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we need to be reminded. It's tempting. And I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong. with. I mean, you should be a good steward of your money. But let's suppose you've been very wise. You live below your means. You put some money aside. You saved up, as financial advisors suggest, three to six months of your income or more. And let's say you've done really, really well at that, and you've, you've stored up and stored up. Maybe kind of like the guy who says, I'm going to build bigger barns, so he keeps storing, putting in. At some point, though, his soul's going to be required. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're told not to have the love of money. It's not money that's evil, but the love of it. And they that will be rich, he says in verse 17, fall into temptation and snare and many foolish and, hurt, unhurt, and hurtful lusts. But actually verse 17 says, Trust not in uncertain riches. Nothing wrong with riches in and of itself. If you have it, share it. But if you have it, count your blessings. But don't trust in it. It's still temporary. It's nice to have. You might be able to do good with it. You might be able to give with it. That's a good thing. If you're able and you're blessed with that. But if not, you can still go to heaven even if you're poor. It's not, it's not everything. It's nice to have. We need money to buy things, to buy food, clothing, necessities. But why does he say trust not in uncertain riches? Because they're fleeting. You can lose it. It can be stolen. It can go down in value. The value of a dollar can be deflated. Or there can be inflation in prices. People are worried about that. Maybe for good reason. Because they're printing money. And then there's... Prices of lumber and prices of houses, things are going up. Gas is going up. So people want to have some kind of hedge against that inflation. Is it Bitcoin that's going to save you? Or is it God? What is it? I'm not saying necessarily it's wrong to do certain things financially in order to, to better yourself. But at the end of it, no matter what you do, it's still an earthly wealth that is uncertain. Where is your hiding place? 
The man who was a, a was the uh, had an art in it. If you remember when there was counsel being made to Saul about going and finding David, the counsel was, you don't understand. He's hiding in some pit somewhere. He's not, he's not doing foolish things where he just has to have some luxury where he's out somewhere where he's going to be seen. David's not the kind of guy who can just be like, okay, I'm tired of this. No, he can live in the wilderness for a long time and bide his time. And he can live in places that nobody else would want to live in. So he had this great skill in hiding. But do you think it was the cave that he thought was going to save him? It's not the cave or the pit. It's not the wilderness that was going to save him. He said, you're my hiding place. He's the one that said in verse 5, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. I think he had a lot of time to think about those kinds of uh, things of where safety really was. If you were in trouble, who's first on your speed dial list? If you got put in jail, whether accused rightly or falsely, doesn't matter. You got one call you can make, collect. Who's on your list? If you got in trouble and there was a legal battle, who's your, who's your attorney that you're going to call? If somebody was coming after you and you needed a bodyguard, who are you going to call? In the game, who wants to be a millionaire? You got a, one lifeline left to answer this one question. You know, if you get the question right, you get, you know, the more money. If you don't get it right, okay, you go home with nothing. Who are you going to call? Who's your, who's your lifeline? When you are first thinking about who you're going to call, if, if you're thinking, I need to talk to somebody about this, who are you going to call? David looks to the Lord these are some, some things that I wanted to share with you about this psalm the main point is the Lord is it he's where our heart should be where our safety is where we should long to be appreciate your attention